a fan from home can watch the game from anywhere on the field of play, not just from the TV, from the camera views. They can go, right, I want to be like, you know, as if I'm that kind of player. And the technology has moved on really, really quickly. I think kind of Canon, Intel in the early days, kind of doing it, but needed too many cameras, very kind of cost prohibitive. But now it's really developed on. Canon's kind of moved forward um, with that. I think, you know, obviously our digital assets can kind of play play a part in that. But, you know, to be kind of feel like you're like in the game and getting closer to that space, I think that's really, really kind of exciting. I think it'll move forward, you know, super, super quickly. But yeah, the intelligence and the experience that come with that could be, you know, pretty, pretty phenomenal. This is the Sports Tech All-Stars podcast, showcasing outstanding startups and initiatives in the global sports tech ecosystem. From Sports Tech X, the leading source for data and insights about sports tech, here is your host, Ron Maholtra. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Sports Tech All-Stars podcast. This is Ron again, and I'm continuing our theme this month of focusing on innovation in stadium or venue tech. This is, of course, in partnership with the Bundesliga, with the DFL, Deutsche Fußball League, leading up to their sports innovation event happening on the 20 and the 20, 20th and 21st of March, if I'm not mistaken. You can check out details on uh, their website, sportsinnovation.de. The idea of the event, if you don't know about it, is that the Bundesliga or the DFL um, uses this one day. It's an exhibition game between two Bundesliga sides where they showcase all of the coolest tech that they're messing around with. So from body cams to innovation and broadcasting tech to a lot of back-end stuff as well, operational stuff as well. One such company that might help with operational um, uh, activities relating to venues is a company named OnePlan, who is my guest for today, I've got Paul Foster, the founder of OnePlan, on the show. OnePlan is a company that does digital twins for events and venues. Um, to tell you more about it, let's have Paul. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks very much for the invitation and looking forward to the conversation today. Yeah, we'll have a nice, easy little chat, Paul. It's a, it's a Tuesday, well, Wednesday morning. How how are you doing? It looks like bright, pretty bright outside behind you. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 pretty good. Yeah, um, coming back kind of off the off the holiday season, and uh, yeah, I think things are kind of uh, ramping up for us. Um, so yeah, it's it's uh, it's been a good summer, but yeah, looking forward to the next kind of couple of months and see what's in store for us. Yeah, ramping up is a good way to put it, I'm sure, because you guys must be getting up for Paris 24, which is uh, how I got introduced to Paul at uh, an event at. Uh, in Paris at Viva Tech, and I found out that one plan was making the digital twin for the Olympics for Paris 24. Um, so I'm sure there's a lot that you can, uh, or that we'd like to hear from what you guys are doing there exactly and how you're helping the event. But before I get to one plan, I always want to know a little bit about the person that I'm speaking to. Uh, so Paul, maybe a little bit of background, uh, where have you come from and what took you to starting uh, one plan? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm kind of a crowd scientist, I guess, by, by, by trade. Uh, Paris is the sixth Olympic and Paralympic Games that I've, I've worked on. But actually, for me, it's actually started on the sports side. So in Beijing 08, 
I was the team manager of the Great Britain wheelchair basketball team. Uh, we won a bronze medal in Beijing. Uh, we beat the USA in the, in the bronze medal game, which is an amazing experience. And I kind of um, came back and then I joined UK government um, advising on things relating to Paralympics, venues and infrastructure um, leading up to the London 2012 Games. Um, it was a fascinating period of time to be in the UK because we were going through a, a change of government and also the economic kind of crash uh, kind of happening. And at the same time, we were trying to kind of put on Olympic Paralympic Games and asking for more money to do more things. Uh, and I led a big piece of work to look at people movement outside of venues. And obviously in a major city, that's particularly kind of challenging because there's the business as usual of everybody you know, moving and, and making their way around. Uh, and I then moved over to the organising committee and oversaw um, what's called kind of the last mile operations of the London Olympic Park. So getting a quarter of a million people in and out of that venue each day. And I think it was kind of number two on the security risk register uh, kind of at, at the time. So, yeah, big operation, you know, multifaceted, working with uh, Met Police, um, TFL, security services and, and the venue itself. Um, fortunately for us, it all went kind of really, really well and it was, was very successful and it was a great kind of experience for me. But what I was always fascinated by and also frustrated by is everything being planned in one of two platforms, uh, PowerPoint and Excel. Um, so specifically talking about um, the operational planning, so where the human resources go where the signs go, where the barriers, tents, cabins, containers, all these kind of things. Generally, people will cut and paste from Google Maps or they'll cut and paste from an AutoCAD, drop it into PowerPoint and do their planning. Now, if you're in security and I'm in maybe the catering, cleaning and waste team, our plans are disconnected from each other. You send me your plan and I could like send it anywhere in the world. Um, so the big kind of challenge of that is around security, around kind of, you know, generating the, the single source of truth is what we like to kind of call it. So that's where um, the concept and idea for, for one plan uh, originally started. And a few years later, I kind of decided to kind of go for it and actually uh, build this thing. Yeah, best way to best way to do it. Try to um, solve a problem for yourself, and maybe then figure out maybe is this a big enough problem to solve for a lot of other people. Uh, it sounds yeah. like that's where the origins of the company was. Um, just to touch on one thing, uh, because you mentioned the Paralympics, we have actually had a British Paralympian on uh, this podcast very recently. We had Ali Javad. Um, I don't know if you know him. He won, yeah. I think, uh, a silver. Was it in the Rio Games in the in powerlifting? And okay. uh, yeah, last month's theme was um, accessibility or sports tech for the differently abled. And Ali is uh, has a startup Accessorize, which helps differently abled people uh, find their fitness of choice. Um, so yeah, bring, bringing a few uh, worlds together. But let's stay with let's stay with one plan. All right. So you've identified this problem of planning is still happening in a in a prehistoric way in some in some ways, and you're trying to bring it to the new age. How does one plan do that, and what exactly, what purpose does the does the dig, creating a digital twin serve? Yeah, so the digital twin element, I guess, well, the 3D digital twin, what most people associated with digital twin, it didn't actually come until later. And I think it's important to say that, you know, digital twin means different things for different people. Uh, for us, it's like a visual twin um, where you can see the venue and appreciate it, do site visits in different areas. You know, um, we can simulate different things. But for others, it's about data. 
Uh, and it could be about dashboarding. It's about pulling different bits of data together in, in one dashboard to help kind of make decisions. So there's, there's very different ways. And, and digital twinning has been big in heavy industry and aviation. So Rolls-Royce use it to simulate the blades on their um, engines, how long they will last in different conditions, how often they need to be replaced. Um, oil and gas use it to kind of simulate drill bits that go into the ground, how long they'll last when they need to replace it. So that investment in there is, you know, is quite significant, but has a, a big benefit for them. So coming back to us um, on the 2D side, so, so initially what I wanted to do is go, right, I want to be able to plan an event site, but like on a Google Doc, but it has to obviously be kind of a map in the context of where the world is. So initially it's like, can I place some barriers on a map and someone else you know, can log in and see where I've done that. So that's where we kind of started with. We started to get kind of traction in festivals, road events particularly. Um, and the interesting thing for us, then, then COVID. So was this when you started? Yeah, yeah. So 2019, and then six months after we launched, we got our first few people in. Then, then COVID hit, and it was like, ah, um, everyone's no one's doing events now. This is going to really kind of kill it. And then we looked at it for about 24 hours, and actually, no, no, here's an opportunity. And then we started to build in social distancing tools. And so um, automatically calculating how many people can fit in an area, drawing lines out um, for queue systems and such like. And we went big on the kind of social distancing piece, you know, and we were doing very, very early days doing webinars with two and a half thousand kind of people on there before the government guidance and such like came out to help people plan. And one thing through COVID, although there wasn't as many events as there would normally be, there was a lot of planning. People were planning again and again and again, and they had to be flexible. The things were changing. You weren't certain what happened next. Mm-hmm. So actually it kind of accelerated our kind of opportunity uh, and more and more kind of people um, kind of using it. And it's continued on because people now realise this is a more, more effective way to kind of um, plan things. So it's certainly not kind of a, a COVID or pandemic-reliant um, technology. And then um, about kind of maybe a year and a half into pandemic, there was um, a particular international federation that came to us and said, look, we, we love what you do in 2D, um, but we've got a venue in Serbia, which we're going to use for a World Cup event. We can't walk into the building because it's a COVID hospital. So can you do what you do in 2D and 3D? So we can plan where the branding goes. We can walk and tour around the venues because we can't do the site visits. We want to do them virtually. Um, so we connected in with Epic Games, um, Unreal Engine, who are famous for... The, the most famous computer game in the world, Fortnite. And we said, look, we need to, well, we want to use your gaming engine and we want to put it on top of a GIS mapping system. And this is where we're unique because a computer game can be anywhere in the world. It's Fortnite's a made up environment, but we actually need to be, you know, very, very accurate to where you are in the world. So we kind of connected the two together. And unfortunately for me, um, Epic Games' is kind of European head office is literally just down the road for me uh, in, in Surrey. Um, so I was able to kind of build that relationship. And within a couple of months, we, we built it and we said, right, here it is. And then, um, yeah, it kind of grew and, and went from there. And then, you know, you add on another 18 months and we're the first ever startup to be an Olympic Games partner. And we're digitally twinning, you know, most of the centre of Paris and most of the sports competition venues. So it, it all moved incredibly quickly. But I think it, the key thing I always say to people is because we started with a problem and we didn't necessarily say digital twins is going to solve all this. We actually like, what's the problem understood the problem. And then it kind of evolved. Um, and I think this is some of the downfall of some of the metaverse things um, in terms of the metaverse was saying, Hey, everybody used the metaverse. It's like, well, why? You're like, what's its purpose? But we had a purpose first before we kind of developed what the technology would be. 
And I wanted to come to that. Of course, you can't talk about digital twins or virtual worlds without dropping the M word. But we'll park that uh, <laughs> aside for a minute. And I, I want to address that later. Um, but no, I mean, super interesting to hear how organic your story is effectively. I mean, it, it seems like your development came A, through requests, again, through solving problems for somebody yeah. else. Um, and then also the story is pretty epic to find using gaming as the engine to drive uh, a real world uh, solution. Um, so maybe talk about that use case specifically <clears throat> since you ended there. What exactly are you doing for Paris 24? How are you helping them? Yeah, so there's, there's kind of multiple use cases and um, they're using the 2D platform and the 3D. And an important thing to mention here is the two are connected together for one database. So if you move something in 2D, then it moves in 3D in kind of real time. Most people still prefer to plan in 2D because you get a wider kind of context. That is always really going to be the way people plan unless you have specific kind of use cases. So one example on the 3D side is Olympic Broadcast Services using it to establish where they want to put their camera positions. Um, and obviously, you can't really do that so well in 2D. In 3D, what we can do is we can actually simulate the sun's position for any future date. So we can say, okay, July 2024, um, where is the sun's position going to be at six o'clock over Place de la Concorde? And we can get that very, very accurately. And what it'll do is simulate reflections on water, uh, reflections off different surfaces, and also lens flare as well. So we simulate the individual camera specification. So how far I can zoom, how far I can pan, all those kind of things. And then they can look at actually, like, we want it positioned here. Actually, at this time of day, we're going to have issues with lens flare from the sun and such like. And they can do all that kind of um, you know, simulation in one place. Um, so that's, that's just one of the use cases on 3D. The next one then was to next one was really driven by kind of environmental and cost savings. So we wanted to give access to all national Olympic committees, national Paralympic committees, and international federations. And actually, they're all getting access in the next kind of couple of weeks. Um, now, to use our technology, you don't need an amazing laptop or desktop, but you do need very solid kind of Wi-Fi because we stream it in. And the whole idea is we give kind of access to um, anybody and everybody. Now, with um, uh, the kind of challenge we were given, okay, that's that may be good for those that have got good Wi-Fi, but what about um, some of the smaller nations who may not have the budget, may not have kind of great Wi-Fi, and they just want to access things on mobile phones? And this is particularly for athletes and for those teams. Now, those guys don't need to simulate the sun's position. They don't need to look at camera positions. Mm -hmm. What they want to know is, where am I getting off the bus? Where's the changing room? Where's the field of play? Where's the media mixer? Where's the anti-doping? And then back out again. So what we essentially enable the client to do is in the digital twin, plot out a route and uh, pick out the points. And what it does then is sends a request off to a, to a server in the cloud. It'll create a 360 degree photo bubble. So essentially what we're doing is creating Google Street View in the digital twins. Mm -hmm. Now, when the end user uses that, it just loads up one photo at a time. Uh, which means you don't need kind of really good Wi-Fi or work on kind of 3G. So what we've done, we've adapted the very, very um, sophisticated software to be able to be used on, on kind of a more mass market kind of approach specific to that use case. Now, what did the athletes actually need to see and need to do? Let's look at that and then let's provide the appropriate kind of um, solution for it. So again, you know, I would always say that digital twins are very much in their infancy in our kind of sector. There's a, there's a lot more that can be done. You know, are we transferring these models into computer games, into Fortnite, and other things as well? You know, there's potential for that. There's a lot more use cases to come. But, you know, as you mentioned earlier, like, 
having it organically grow. So let's really, really deeply look at the, the use case and issue. And in some situations, it's not it's not the 3D digital twin. There's as many use cases we've gone, actually, you don't need the 3D. You need to plan in the 2D uh, because that's the way people can kind of work together. And that's where most of the users are. So there's as many thousands of users using the 2D plans uh, to kind of collaborate and work together. And that's always going to kind of exist. And the other thing I would say is the most important part of 3D is the 2D and getting that right first. Interesting. I guess that's the foundation for what the application will deliver. So that's important to get right. Um, It's interesting that you mentioned Google Street View because that's the first thing you kind of visualize in your head. I guess that's as a normal user, everybody's seen it. How do I get, like, where am I going? How do you figure that out? And you try to use Google to help you out. So using that for an arena or a large space, um, like an Olympic village or Olympic park, um, makes a lot of sense. Is that the most let's say, used use case or the most relevant uh, use case for the product? I mean, what you described with the broadcasting stuff sounds hella cool, but I can imagine that's a very fringe use case for a very specific uh, set of users. So is the broadest one actually just logistics, like getting from point A to point B, or is there something else that you think that, hey, actually, alongside logistics, there are a couple of others that are very widely used? Yeah, I think with the camera, we can also do it with security cameras as well, and you, you get into the realms of the security. So really, I look at it in a, in a life cycle of a, of a venue or an event. So let's take uh, the, the LA Clippers. So we've Digit Twin into it, though, for, for the LA Clippers, their new venue that opens next year. And I think that's a brilliant one because we're going right from the start. So initially, it was about showing the ownership, Steve Baumer, former CEO of Microsoft, cool project to be involved in what this venue is going to look like and experience in that venue. So he was able to sit in his seat from home and say, ah, okay, I can see what this venue is going to look like and, and you know, informing design decisions about the venue. And they made some pretty big kind of decisions and changes as a result of being in the digital twin. Now, next thing is they then need to sell the hospitality suites and the seats as well. So they're able to show people this is exactly what your hospitality suite is going to kind of look like, adjust it doing that, show fans the views from the seats as well. And they have an amazing experience center in downtown LA. And a lot of our kind of um, digital twin assets are in there, but you can also sit in the seat and then you go into the digital twin and you can see the view from your seat and what it's going to be like and kind of being there. Next bit is then selling advertising space. So let's say uh, they have, you know, Pepsi and Coke. I'm sure they, I don't know if they're talking to Pepsi and Coke or not, but let's say that Pepsi and Coke want to kind of have some advertising space in the venue. They can change over the branding themselves and say, hey, Pepsi, this is what it's going to look like for you. Coke, this is what it's going to look like for you in the afternoon. But they're in control of it. They don't have to come to us to kind of render things out. They're in control of that asset. So they're now selling the advertising spaces in the venue. Next one on, on from that is then looking at operational planning. So let's move around the venue. Where potentially is there a pinch point for the crowds at certain times? Where could there be issues? And we can actually simulate crowd movement in there as well. So they're starting to plan operations. And that's where they start to bring in more external stakeholders. So maybe the fire marshal comes in and say, yeah, I want to understand you know, how people evacuate and how that all works. Then training. So before the venue opens and it's still being built, you can show the workforce, hey, okay, this is how the venue is going to operate. This is your role. And we can do simulations in there. So if someone falls over or there's an incident, how do you deal with that? And then next stage in, and then the fans. Hey, fans, this is your route you will take from parking your car or getting off the metro kind of into the venue. So they're familiar with, um, you know, them, then um, that experience. And I think the next stage then on is, is, is potentially kind of, you know, virtual events. So you can hire 
hire venues all over the world. If you've, you know, you, you pay your amount of money and you can hire it for a concert. Well, why don't you do that in the digital space as well? So there'll be, there's one digital version of Intuit Dome. And it'd be great in the future, you know, if you could go online and you could rent it for a particular kind of event and utilize that as well. So we're looking at that with a number of clients. So really, you know, we, we, we wanted to do as many things as the, as the physical venue um you know but we don't have necessarily kind of limitations so I, I very much see that digital twin is a living breathing thing that takes you from you know infancy and the idea all the way through to kind of operations and upgrade of the venue so we're digitally twinning crypto.com um, arena at the moment and you know the initial use case around that is like what's this venue going to look like when we do the refurbishment are there any kind of things that we need to think about need to change adjust to working with the architect on that um so that's kind of the, the full span of things. and But yeah, it's evolving really quickly. There's going to be a lot more to come. I can imagine. And thanks for that. Actually, that really set the, um, sets the spectrum of everything that's possible pretty well. And uh, to, to tell us that, hey, we can go right from helping you plan the event to just doing an event digitally, which is a yeah. whole other thing. Stay up to date with all things sports tech and sign up for our newsletter. You'll get a monthly breakdown of the most important developments in the global sports tech ecosystem, paired with exclusive interviews with industry leaders. Get all of this and more delivered directly to your inbox. Sign up today at sportstechx.com. And that's where I want to go now. Because I remember when we when we first spoke, um, and I think you were talking about Paris 24, You, I think you mentioned that you're not doing anything fan-facing. I don't know if that's changed since then, or you can correct me if I'm wrong, but clearly you had that capability because that's the first thing I thought of. Like the first application is, hey, this is an incredible experience that you can deliver to fans. So how much of, let's say, the new requests that you're getting now from, let's say, Crypto.com or the Arena for the Clippers or uh, more clients down the road are hey, help us plan this event or plan this venue um, to be the best operationally that it can be versus, hey, this is something that we want to build to drive fan experience, to drive revenue, to drive uh, on that side of things. So rather than cost, it's more a revenue opportunity. Yeah, so um, we've had a look, kind of deep look at this. And I guess our, our approach is, um, you know, working with anybody what that solution wants to be and being interoperable. So how we see it is we're... Um, like the, the you know the, the digital real estate and they may want to transfer this model to use in different ways and um, so we're making it um, as easy to use and transfer into different systems as, as possible because there are some great fan experience opportunities out there we want them to be able to use this asset as long as the client kind of gives permission to kind of do that so we see ourselves as that venue digitally which you can kind of you know lease out rent out um, some things we may do ourselves but what we've kind of the approach we're kind of taking is keeping our core um, on kind of, you know, uh, operational side, but make a build a model that can be used for a kind of, you know, other purposes. Because, um, you know, when you want to start using things uh, with a lot of concurrent users, that's when it gets kind of definitely gets more challenging and you need the big hardware providers in. We're very fortunate that we've got some really good relationships with those big providers. Obviously, we work really closely with Intel on the Olympics. Um, you know, you need some serious GPU, CPU, graphic card capability in the cloud to kind of do these things on kind of big scales. Um, but we'd like to help, um, you know, companies that are 
B2C focus, fan engagement focus, and use our assets to kind of go into those um, into those spaces. Um, but yeah, it's not something that we're going to move into ourselves so much. Like I said, we'll, we'll facilitate that um, that to happen because there's so many great companies kind of out there. So you know, we're really really keen to work with them. Interesting. So you you see yourself more as the platform which can enable people to build different apps that they yeah, can bring into aspect. the digital venue. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So with a with a core kind of official official asset, and I, and I think there's a lot of work being done, and we've done a lot of work, significant work on IP, image rights, intellectual property. Um, you know, you could go online now and and Google three D model of Wembley Stadium. There's loads on there. They aren't architecturally accurate, uh, but they look very very familiar. And there, people are selling those and putting them into computer games and such like. Well, that's actually the IP of Wembley Stadium, or maybe even the architect. So people are making money off that kind of particular digital asset. And when we build a, a kind of asset, it becomes the only official version of that stadium. So um, if people want to use it or use a likeness of it, they have to use kind of, you know, this this model of it. Um, so what it does, it gives the client control in their digital environment. They have the control of their physical venue because they can put a fence around it and they've got a security guard at the front gate uh, about what they do. But essentially we're helping them to put those similar kind of guardrails in, in the digital space and protect their intellectual property. Because yeah. obviously they, you know, uh, at the moment, if there's lots of different versions of their stadium out there you know someone could be using it to sell something promote something which they don't want to for example you know it could be man, cigarettes or whatever they're not kind of they, they don't want to be associated with so here we're just helping them to um, kind of develop that i think it's a real big emerging space now is the whole kind of intellectual property and image rights around digital assets um, i think it's right. a kind of you know a really uh, a really big piece it's actually where i think the kind of nfts could have played a part but it was again <laughs> nfts had a bit of a bad rap because the nft was 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 there before the, the problem had even been kind of well, what's the problem you're trying to solve and actually there is a challenge here around ip image rights which nfts could have a have a part to kind of play in um it just kind of came the wrong way around really the solution came before the problem yeah, I, I, on the NFT thing, I think is I mean, that's still the underlying technology. There's nothing wrong, and the, the underlying technology is yeah. really powerful. It's just about how it's used and exactly. the collectibles, whatever uh, cash grab, uh, unfortunate cash grab that we saw has given this bad rep. But I'm yeah. I'm confident, and maybe you are as well, that the underlying technology still has a lot of value to deliver, and it'll okay. find its day in the sun uh, going forward. Uh, it'll make its comeback. Um, super interesting. I think. Again, you've done a good job of laying out how the relevant stakeholders, whether it's a fan, the organizer, or even the athlete you spoke about earlier, how they can interact with um, with your solution. Uh, moving away from, from one plan, um, what innovations in stadium or venue tech are you most excited about that either maybe you're already working on or you're not working on? Yes, I'm really interested and uh, looking closely at some of the, the technology around um, uh, you know, multiple cameras in, in the venue. So uh, a fan from home can watch the game from anywhere on the field of play, not just from the TV, from the camera mm -hmm. views. But they can go, right, I want to be like 
you know, as if I'm that kind of player. And the technology has moved on really, really quickly. I think kind of Canon, Intel in the early days, kind of doing it, but needed too many cameras, very kind of cost prohibitive. But now it's really developed on. Canon's kind of moved forward um, with that. And I think, you know, obviously our digital assets can kind of play a, play a part in that. But, you know, to be kind of feel like you're like in the game and getting closer to that space, I think that's really, really kind of exciting. I think it'll move forward, you know, super, super quickly. But yeah, the intelligence and the experience that come with that could be, you know, pretty, pretty phenomenal. Um, and then, you know, uh, there's also the potential for kind of the the virtual reality then to kind of uh, catch up with it. I'm still skeptical a bit on the virtual reality because, again, you know, people don't necessarily kind of want to be in there for kind of too long. And it's actually sometimes feel people feel it that's a little bit isolating with the goggle on and people like sat around you, you're not kind of engaged with them. So, so I still think it's not quite there yet. Let's see what the Apple kind of solution uh, does. And I know there's many others kind of working on something kind of um, similar. So I think that's not quite there yet, but I think in a couple of years it will be. But yeah, certainly that kind of immersive experience where you can, you know, and then there was a really great one, I think, done of the World Cup, Rugby World Cup in Japan. There was a little experiment done, I think New Zealand, South Africa game, and you can literally pick where you are on the field and follow the game from any position. And it's incredible kind of experience to kind of really get a deep knowledge about how the game's played, you know, how people are kind of moving off the ball. Yeah, I think that a truly immersive experience is what I think every fan is like a dream world. Imagine if you were on the pitch, uh, yeah. even if it's digitally or virtually, while something was uh, with your favorite players or uh, important action happened. Uh, <clears throat> we've actually spoken to, I think you might know, uh, Sponix. Uh, Sponix Tech is a company based out of, I think they're in Dubai and also in Qatar, but generally out of the Middle East. They move out a couple of places which do something similar. They'll come into that POV of the player or in different parts of the stadium. Uh, we've had them on the podcast as well. If you if anybody's interested, you can go check out that episode. But I agree that that and that the different forms of it, either it's the fully immersive experience or just the you're consuming a game in an animated experience. Like there are so many things um, that a fan can do now, um, which are related to how you set up the cameras in in a venue. Very cool stuff. All right, um, Paul, let's talk about what's next. What's coming up for one plan? Sounds like I mean you rattled off a bunch of names already so it seems like your client roster is building uh, maybe you can drop a couple more or just generally talk about what's coming up for the next uh, 12 18 months for one plan yeah yeah so it's going well we're kind of you know expanding uh, you know very globally i think the, the the 2d platform we're used in 110 countries you know worldwide we have kind of you know on that side of things people can come on start using the platform for free today so it's a very very kind of easy entry point obviously the 3d side is kind of there's a, there's a higher price point and then we're, we're telling kind of you know working with the team to understand and establish exactly how um, they want to use the platform but um yeah we're looking to kind of grow out into different areas we've got a number of cities we're talking to about digitally twinning the whole city um we're talking to a number of the kind of big providers of, uh, of venues kind of globally. Uh, we, we know we're currently doing uh, Gillette Stadium. We're currently doing Crypto.com Arena. We just finished uh, XL London, which is an amazing project, big extension they were kind of building out. So that's the first time we've kind of gone into the conference and exhibition space. So really good solution that we've, um, you know, been, been kind of um, providing there. But yeah, a, a lot of stadiums now uh, are realising kind of the, the benefit of it, uh, the cost saving it can be, bring over a long period of time. So looking to expand on that. Um, we are toying with uh, with some things on AI as well. Uh, we think it's kind of a lot of opportunities. But again, we'll, we'll look at 
first of all, what is the problem that people have, and then see whether like AI is a potential solution for that. Um, and I think there's a bit there's a bit to go with um, uh, augmented reality as well. So um, looking at when you're out on site, kind of operationally, you know, what is that sign? What is that configuration going to look like? You know, and holding up a device and actually saying, okay, that yeah, that looks like it'll fit there. That that'll work kind of okay. So I think there's kind of more to be done in in that space. And there's there's some good solutions in um, kind of real estate um, in some of the other sectors. So we're, we're always looking at other sectors to see what they're they're doing and see where someone's really, really kind of nailed um, a, a use case. Um, but yeah, kind of lots more to come. And, uh, you know, we're fortunate we've got an amazing team, real, real global team. Uh, and expanding into kind of all continents of, uh, of the world. Uh, but yeah, it should be a really exciting year for us in, in 2024, leading up to um, the Olympic and, and Paralympic Games. So we're excited to be there and hopefully, you know, see, see lots of people in Paris as well. Yeah, sounds like you've, uh, uh, you keep, you guys are keeping busy, let's put it that way. Uh, lots yeah. coming up and wish you and the team the best of luck. Uh, for our listeners, if anybody wants to reach out to you, Paul, uh, what's the best way to do that? Maybe LinkedIn or uh, email? Yeah, LinkedIn is the best way. Great platform. So, yeah, just just drop us a note on there. Always kind of happy to talk to people. We're always looking for partners to kind of work with, um, looking at different kind of use cases. But we're very much, you know, partner focused. Uh, you know, we want to help other people succeed as well. If that can tap into our uh, technology, then great. If not, you know, we're happy to kind of have a discussion, you know, what's happening next and, uh, you know, help and work together. So, yeah. Uh, uh, we, we take a very kind of proactive uh, approach to kind of partnering and working with other people. Good stuff. All right, Paul Foster, you can reach out to him on LinkedIn. Uh, before I let you go, Paul, my last question. Uh, it's my favorite one. Uh, I'd like to believe that we're all sports fans first, um, which is why we choose to work in this industry. So I'm curious to know what has been your favorite sporting moment, either one you consumed as a fan or maybe participated in as an athlete. Oh, uh, favorite sporting moment. Oh, that's uh, that, that's a tricky one. So my my kind of uh, big sport is rugby. That's that's what I've always been kind of uh, you know um, uh, passionate about. Um, so I guess yeah, yeah. It's um, and I've been fortunate to watch the, like, the British Lions play and and uh, and watch kind of England play uh, play play rugby and what such like. But actually, um, yeah, my my kind of team is is Bristol. Um, so I I guess I go back to when I was a lad uh, watching kind of Bristol play their local rivals. Uh, bath um you know packed crowd when we could stand in the crowd with a beer with a with a cornish pasty and i was fortunate to watch some of the you know great great Amer- um, uh, football and rugby players uh, but yeah um i saw kind of austin p shot you know, the captain of uh, argentina the scrum half who's now i think vice president of the uh, rugby union and we had like simon shaw kind of playing there uh, henry Hannibal, you know i think it was back in kind of like the late 90s that bristol had like an incredible team and um, watching them in a packed crowd in the stand with like 12,500 other people against local rivals Bath was, uh, yeah, an incredible experience. But um, yeah, yeah, real kind of like passionate team. But yeah, those were some of my, you know, real enduring memories of, of watching sport as a kid. Rugby, beer and a Cornish pasty. It sounds, sounds about, I think you topped up the British. Cornish pasty, yeah, 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 yeah. And the beer would be like a two-pint beer kind of thing. But, uh, yeah, and you'd get like a giant Cornish pasty. So me and my dad would sit in the stand and we'd have like a – we'd usually be cider because I was from the West Country. So you'd have a cider and a Cornish pasty. And then, uh, yeah, it was uh, – there was good, good, always good banter in the, in the rugby crowd. A lot of kind of like wick taken. But it was, yeah, it was, it, was, it was really good fun and really nice memories. 
Sounds perfectly British. Paul, it has been a pleasure. And I love asking that question because the way you responded, the smile it brought on your face and it usually ends the podcast with a smile as well. Thanks so much for taking the time for joining us. Yeah, thanks so much. Really, really enjoyed the time. So yeah, thank you. All right, that is a wrap for another episode. Like I mentioned at the top, uh, if you haven't already, please do go check out the Sports Innovation Day from the DFL. You'll be able to check out a lot of cool stuff. Um, maybe other companies similar to, uh, to what OnePlan is doing. Maybe OnePlan will be there. We can try to get them in on the DFL as well. Um, stay tuned. We have a lot more coming up in this uh, theme. See you guys next week. Ciao. Thanks for listening to the Sports Tech All-Stars podcast with Roan Maholtra. If you like our show, let us know and leave a review. And if you want to know more about us, check out sportstechx.com where you can find our latest industry reports and updates. For a deeper dive into all things sports tech, check out our comprehensive database, SportsTechDB, at sportstechdb.com. Don't forget to follow us on social media. You can find us at SportsTechX on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Join us next time for another insightful conversation with a leader in sports tech.